DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. Mark Miller Subaru bringing you DJ and PK in the morning. And right now, bringing you Lincoln Kennedy as well. Raider radio voice, Pac-12 network analyst. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. I've got so many questions, but let's start with, what do you do with yourself this time of year with the Raiders out and Pac-12 football over? Oh, it's called having fun and relaxing with my kids. Um, this season was was long and hard for me. I was actually working uh, what, what made out to be seven days a week, uh, various ra- ra- radio and TV entities. Uh, so I'm looking welcome for the break. I'm, I'm happy. And speaking of break, someone who wants to get back in, that's Urban Meyer. He took a break for a couple of years. But, wow, what a decision as far as going to Jacksonville, of all places, in the NFL. Any place in the NFL, but you're starting at a non-glamorous market out there. And, obviously, he's from, has, lives in Florida, or at least uh, has a history in Florida. But you played at both levels, obviously. What do you think of a college coach who made his mark and made it very, very well at the college level, now doing it at the professional level. Well, first of all, I look at it as what we call the itch in the business. Once you're in something for a long time, it's hard to get away from it. So there's no there's no surprise that Urban Meyer's back into coaching and just at what level. And I remember, you know, when the uh, Ohio State played Clemson and the camera flashed on him a couple times, he had that sort of astute look like a like a like a hamster on a on a on a, on a wheel, thinking what he could do with that number one pick. And that was it started that started the rumor that he might be going to Jacksonville, even though Jacksonville at that time had not given any hints that they were going to let go of Doug Marone. So I'm not surprised surprised by the move. I will say this. A lot of times you have what I consider control freaks that have to have total control. And, and if they're not in the right place, it doesn't work out for them. I think that was what happened with Saban in Miami, uh, why he went back to Alabama. I think this is what happened with Harbaugh in the pro level and why he went to Michigan and wanted to control everything. So I, it'll be interesting to see what Jacksonville makes out of it and what they do with the first pick. Most people think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence, and it might very well be. But how can he get him? Uh, you know, Jacksonville's not far away. They do have some pieces. But how can he get him to the next level? And that division, I think, is uh, capturable uh, if they have the right coach and the right team. So will Urban, who has always gone to places where there was a ton of talent on the roster and he yep. could win right away year one, yep. you know, 10 yep. and 2 at Utah, and yep. then year two go undefeated, and yep. then he goes to Miami or to uh, Florida, and his second year he wins a national title, and he's yep. undefeated his first year at Ohio State. If you had a quick process at Jacksonville, you might win five or six games next year. You might be nine and seven and get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs the next year, and then the third year be ready for a deep playoff run. I think but, it happens quicker than that. Really? I think it happens. Yeah, I think it happens year one. I think he gets them in the playoffs if he has the right system and the right pieces in place. They do have some pieces already. They're not that far away. And I think depending on how they use that number one pick, where he decides to go a quarterback, because we know there's no doubt that they definitely need a quarterback, that they might be able to implement something. The biggest question for me is we saw this sort of gradual transformation over the last decade or so, how college football, what's happening in college football, is starting to come into the ranks of pro football. And with the, you know, the, the run-pass option and various teams trying to implement it, you know, Peterson and, and Philadelphia when they had their run, and trying to, you see Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts and all these other guys that are coming in, you see sort of what they're trying to do. It's, it'll be interesting to see how that, if that takes over, offensively-wise, because defenses are beginning to catch up and slow those things down. So these things happen in Revelations. I think Urban will be successful. My biggest question mark is the stress because he was talking about his health issues when he was last coaching. How does that interfere or does that interfere this time around? 
What do you think about the adage of uh, pro players not rallying around a college coach? Is that outdated? I think it's outdated. I think I, I think you have so much individualism on so many different levels that it's hard to have anybody rally around anyone collectively. Um, I, I think that coaches overall have gotten away from teaching the simplest uh, aspects of the game. For example, um, game management from a quarterback. I remember being frustrated when watching Cleveland and, and Pittsburgh, and I was thinking to Baker Mayfield, why are you in such a hurry to run a play? If anything, you want to take as much time off the clock. You should know that because that was the elementary thinking. You should look up at the clock and say, even if we run three run plays and they're unsuccessful, we should at least take out a minute 45, a minute to, you know, two minutes off the clock. That's what your, your philosophy is thinking. Not hurry up. Oh, let's hurry up and get to the ball and run and snap. But I think that is, that's something that is a thing of the past as well because you see uh, game management as a whole, even from coaching staff, has gone by wayside. Lincoln Kennedy joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So we're sitting here with the, uh, with the playoffs right in front of us. Mm-hmm. We just saw four road teams win. Now, I don't think all of them were really that big an upset. Certainly Tampa right. Bay wasn't. I really thought the Tennessee-Baltimore game was a toss-up. I think Baltimore-Buffalo feels like a little bit of a toss-up to me. I, w- I won't be surprised if the Ravens go in there, run the ball, keep Buffalo off the field, and get out of there with a 23-20 win. I, I just wouldn't be shocked by that. No, and I agree with you. And I think if you look at the last couple of years, the playoffs, especially the wild cards, you would see a lot of times the road teams had a lot of success in home stadiums. I think the, 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 when you look at this year as a whole, you could probably make the argument, especially in the AFC, that was, it was ultra competitive. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't think it was going to be that high you know, as far as the competition win-loss margin. And the NFC, it was a little bit closer, but still hard to predict. So these days in the playoffs, the, the competitive, competitional edge has been you know, driven down. It's, it's not as, as deep as it once was. So Lamar Jackson was just, just fantastic in that first win, and he gets the thing off his back. Yep. Uh, is it gone now, or does it just grow? Okay, you did it once in the first round, now you got to do it again. Well, it grows because you're a former NFL MVP. <laughs> it's not going yeah. anywhere. The pressure's not going anywhere. I mean, the, the fact is is that the, the, the media wants, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson to win so they can talk about the story. Baltimore fans want Lamar Jackson to win so they can talk about the story. And more importantly, I think the NFL wants to show that they can win because, again, this is another program that's implementing a lot of things that are coming out of college. It's not the transitional drop-back passer. It's sort of the new age of football. And most general managers and coaches are having to look at that because a mobile quarterback gives you a definite edge especially when you have a speed that you have at receivers and tight ends as you know competitive and athletic the tight ends are you've got to force a lot of uh, double coverage a lot of bracket coverage bracket coverage so you're rushing rushing less and then driving more into coverage gives uh, open up a number of lanes for running quarterbacks to have success you know because uh, i believe what you said you know the afc was so competitive you know seven 11 win teams the eighth best teams 10 win miami i feel like these afc playoff games could go either way. I look at the NFC and I think it's going to be the Saints and it's going to be the Packers. Uh, but I look, even Kansas City, who's been awesome, played so many close games the second half of the season. I think, man, one or two mistakes and Cleveland's hot. They've won seven out of nine. Maybe, maybe even they could pull it off. Yeah, the thing is, is that what, what Cleveland's going to have to do is what I spoke of early, master the time of possession. Because what Andy Reid did in the second half of the season and he started out when after they came out of the bye and um, played Oakland. Is he wasn't as he wasn't as intent on you know. 
taping the deep play, the big play, and passing the ball downfield as he was taking his time marching down the field and getting touchdowns. And that turned out to be, well, obviously low-scoring games and kept other teams in it, but they still had the edge. So um, my thing is, is this, until somebody beats Kansas City, as much as I hate to say it, i got to believe they're their favorite. Yeah, I would agree with that until we see otherwise. I'm really interested in the old-timers game. I suggested <laughs> that if Brady and Breeze go into overtime, instead of playing football, they settle at a shuffleboard. <laughs> Probably, a, right? You've got to ask who's paying. The thing is, is that uh, uh, it's hard to beat a team three times in a row. And I still think the Saints are going to win because I think they're the better team, especially on defense. But it's really hard. And, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, much as you said earlier, where it could probably be a Green Bay and, and New Orleans Saint, uh, New Orleans matchup in the finals, it would be it would be very frustrating for a Saints fan to be this close to the Super Bowl again, but no touch, because I don't yeah. think they can beat Green Bay in Green Bay. And I really don't think the Rams are going to beat the Packers. And the number right. one thing, watching Aaron Donald grab his rib, abdomen, core, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's hurt. And you can say whatever you want. I know NFL players lie to the media. I don't even blame them for them. I wouldn't want to tell the opponent, hey, this shoulder hurts. Make sure you hit that as many times as possible. You know, so I I get it, but I just don't believe they're healthy. And if they don't have him, they don't have their pass rush. And if you're the Rams without your pass rush, you're not really the Rams. Yeah, that's true. But Green Bay is hurting up front on the offensive line. With Valdir, they went out and they signed Jared Valdir, but he tested positive COVID. So they've got some problems. And we've seen the formula in the past to beat this Packers offense is to get a rush with four men. Uh, Tampa Bay did it earlier when they were down to Tampa. But I think, you know, the, the, the overwhelming factor, even though crowds are not allowed in the stands pretty much, Green Bay is a home field advantage, especially this time of year. Nobody likes to go play in Green Bay. <laughs> Even Green Bay Packers don't like playing in Green Bay. So I think it's an advantage for Green Bay, and I think Aaron Rodgers is just with that offense is just too hot. I'm going to ask you, it's going to start out as an NBA, but it has a per, uh, relationship to really any sport, so stick with me for a second. You see with the Rockets with James Harden and created such a problem. He leaves, and they immediately win their first game. And now you got the Nets, which Kyrie Irving, who is doing all his stuff, and I'm wondering what kind of toll it takes there. Can you just relate to the issue of when the team is not focused on winning when you have these side things going on, how much it actually gets in the way of what you're trying to accomplish? Every coach I've ever played for has tried to limit distractions. And I remember as a young man growing up and playing the game, I wanted to be on the field. I didn't care about what was happening behind me. I didn't care about my backups training. I wanted to be on the field. I wanted to play. Um, and because I started off as an awkward athlete, this is my personal story, an awkward athlete who wasn't really, wasn't really athletic but had potential, it took me a while to get in a position to where I was comfortable and was able to do my thing. And then success followed. To me, the, the most disheartening thing about today's athlete in many respects, especially when it comes to basketball, is it became, it's become so much individualistic that it takes away from the team. So many times we've seen the individual be allowed to run them up. Uh, we had one general manager who, who actually offended people by saying, well, you can't allow the inmates to run the asylum. But that's what's, that's what's taken over. That's, what, that's what's happening, especially in the world of the NBA. It always seems like there's one individual that's trying to do one up. Ever since the Big Three got together in Boston, we've seen various guys, various good players, try to get on the same squad, try to create these quote-unquote super teams. And for a lot of people, it worked. 
some good, some bad. The way that it's handled ultimately is the reflection that I have, I'm concerned about. Anthony Davis did the same thing a couple of years ago when he wanted out of New Orleans, wanted to go to the Lakers. But he didn't handle it the way that James Harden did when he went there and he called out his teammates were not good enough. Houston was forced to do that, to, to make that trade. They were forced because he was becoming toxic in the locker room. And it was like you're not going to get anything from him if you just wait it out, allow him to tank games, and then all of a sudden leave. So they were forced into that. But it's so disheartening because you see an organization like the Rockets that did everything that Harden wanted. They gave him the red carpet and more. They gave him the keys. They tried to do everything they could to appease him. They gave him money, and he still wanted out. That's unfortunate, and that's a bad sign for the NBA because now you're going to have more of what I call this divish uh, type of behavior, whether it's Kyrie Irving, whether it's James Harden, whether it's whomever. You're going to have more and more of that go on, and everyone is going to try to do one up. Can you imagine if Zion Williamson decides to go a go muck? Could you imagine the NBA if that if that's if that's the case? I mean, we might be headed there. We don't know, but right now it's so hard to please these divas. There's nothing left. Brooklyn gave up everything because they want to win now. And in the, in the world in the world of sports, the ebb and flow of sports, even when you try to buy a team, it's not always successful. So I think Brooklyn is going to be competitive in the East because they've got Kevin Durant. But I honestly think they made this move because they don't trust that Kyrie will come back and they have to have two superstars. Uh, but I'm interested to see how Durant and James Harden share the court. I wouldn't mind if I were the if I were Brooklyn if he didn't come back. If, well, they, course, if you could find a, a taker, yeah, if you could yeah. find a taker for him, so you had some money to put a third and fourth guy around your two stars, they'd be in a better place. Yeah, but again, you it, it's anyone's guess what's going to appease yeah. Kyrie. And every place that he's gone since he's left Cleveland, he's become toxic in the locker room. Yep, yep, fact. I mean, you have that situation. The guys, are you able to tune it out? You get sick of it? What do you do? No, you can't tune it out because the organization is catering to him. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So you, you can't tune it out. You're, everyone else is not good enough to impoint their voice or whatever. If the coach tries to disrupt, he can't let it out to the media because it's going to create a bigger circus than he wants. If the coach tries to disrupt and now you, you force your best player into a shell where he doesn't want to play, what, what, what are you going to do? Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. And Lincoln, we got to ask you about Alabama yeah. And the Pac-12. Right. So Alabama's got four under, underclassmen declaring, quarterback Mac Jones, wide receiver Jalen Waddell, D-lineman Christian Barmore, quarterback Patrick Sertain, add in Devonta Smith and Najee Harris, two more offensive skill players, potentially six first-round draft picks. Right. How yeah, in the I mean, world it, it, is the Pac-12 <laughs> supposed to get back on the national stage and compete with us? Do they just have to wait for Saban to retire? No, it's not that, but you just have to win. You know, what, what it's going to take is it's going to take scheduling Pac-12 schools to play SEC schools in non-conference games. That's what it's going to take. And it's going to take the Pac-12 to, have to, to be able to win. The fact is, in my opinion, the SEC is top-heavy. And I, I'm, I've been bewildered over the past decade and change how Saban can continuously have such a successful program and it seems like other programs aren't even close unless it's a blip on the screen. I mean, you take LSU last year. If they didn't get Joe Burrow, you know, through the transfer portal and all of a sudden open things up, it probably would look like Alabama would have dominated the conference again. Florida's come close. Georgia's come close, but not without the inconsistencies. I don't know what Saban is doing in Alabama, and I don't know why it's big, uh, uh, such a big difference maker, but I will tell you this. In this national championship game, 
they looked totally more prepared than Ohio State did. Mm-hmm. And both of them have the same amount of time to get ready. So I'm not really sure what's going on, but Ohio State got outcoached. Now Nick Saban's been outcoached before. He has been outcoached before. But Ohio State got outcoached, and they couldn't make adjustments. Uh, and, and, and for the life of me, it kills me because it looked like Alabama was tougher than Ohio State. And Ohio State the week before, when they, the game before, looked like they were tougher than Clemson. So what are we to believe? What are we to make out of this national championship race? The same three teams are going to be in the mix next year. It's going to be a question mark of who's the fourth. But where it comes in regards to the Pac-12, the Pac-12 has got to start beating some of these teams and beating them consistently. And so the schedule makers, even though they're doing it for money, you can't have, um, you know, for, it's not a disgrace, but it's not disrespect, but you can't have Oregon State going into to the horseshoe, taking on Ohio State in game one and thinking that it's going to go well for the Pac-12 conference. It's not. I'll tell you who's going to be that fourth team, Lincoln. It's right in the market that where you live. And where do you live? Oh, in Phoenix, Arizona State, you think? <laughs> Your alma mater? We can wish and hope. <laughs> well, you know what was funny is we were having a, I was in the barbershop the other day, and we were talking about how Herm was able to turn around the program with such great talent. And one of the things that stuck out with me about Coach Edwards is when he first came there, there were people, in the, like we were just referring to toxic, possible toxic players in the locker room, there were people in the locker room that did not have, he didn't jail with. And, you know, he went to those guys and he was like, you know what, keep your scholarship, but you don't need to come back and play. We're going to move on. And nowadays when it comes to recruiting, it's a very valuable recruiting tool to somebody like me, a parent. I don't know how much it resonates with the athlete, but as a parent, it's one of those guys, he's one of those guys that comes into the house where Saban in Alabama will go in there and say, look, your kid will be in the National Football League in three years. That's their ultimate recruiting tool. Herm Edwards goes into parents' house and he said, your kid will have a degree in three years. Now, for parents like me, that, oh, yes, I want my child to have a college degree. Absolutely, move on with life. But sometimes the, the, the athlete wants to be seen. And so there have been a lot of great athletes, and I use the word because it, it's applicable. Great athletes come through Ohio State since Herm Edwards has been there, but didn't finish there because they weren't getting enough playing time. The transfer portal is, is amateur free agency. And until they put a stop to that, these teams, because they can't make up for the scholarships, are going to get players, give them NFL-style training, and then they're going to move on to other programs, and then they're kind of going to just fade into oblivion. Lincoln, we appreciate the time, as always. Thanks for checking in here on the, uh, on the eve of the divisional playoffs. Yeah, always a pleasure, man. Enjoy the football.